Hello, and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine. And Tulsa got an ugly win, but a win nevertheless, and it was a six, or 16, 19-6 to six victory over Navy. That win locked TU into the 2020 American Athletic Conference Championship game against Cincinnati on December 19th, the first time that TU has appeared in the American Conference Championship game. And also moves them up four spots in the AP poll that came out today. We're recording on Sunday uh, from number 22 to number 18, which is the highest AP poll ranking for the Hurricane since, believe it, 1952. Unbelievable. We hit number 11, I think, uh, in 1952. And boom, there we are, sitting at number 18 now. Crazy. So before we get to, uh, you know, we've got a couple interesting things coming up. We've got Cincinnati next week and we've got Cincinnati in the championship game. Before we get them in the championship game, we've got them in the regular season. So that's what we have coming up this week. And we get them in round one of TU versus Cincy on Saturday at 3 p.m. That's on ESPN2 and that game time and channel update just came out today. So we will recap the Navy game. Then we'll bring in Brandon from the Go Beer Cats podcast and blog to preview Cincy. Just a FYI, we did our original Cincinnati preview episode when we were first scheduled to play them back back in October, uh, October 13th, episode 8 of this season, and we had Clayton Truder from Down the Drive on for that episode uh, before that game got postponed to now, basically. So feel free to go listen to that one, too, if you want even more Cincy pregame talk. Um, but we've also, you know, in addition to those things, we also have basketball to recap. We've got some really, really awesome listener questions to answer this week. So lots to get into. So let's get started. Stay golden. Hurricane. Oh boy. All right. Let's jump in. We've got a lot to cover today. Try not to go too long. We'll see what happens. Um, Tulsa got the 19 to six win over Navy uh, yesterday, recording this on Sunday. It was their first win over the midshipmen since 2006. We've lost five straight against them before that. So we snapped a five game losing streak. We still have never, ever beaten them in Tulsa. Uh, We do get to play them in Tulsa next year. So maybe 2021 will be the year that that happens. Uh, but we did get the dub in Annapolis yesterday. Big time win, like we said in the opener, that locked us into the championship game uh, for the American Conference, which is the first time that Tulsa's football team has uh, competed in that spot as well. So very big game, very big result in there. We'll talk about the Navy game. Um, but before we break that game down, some minor notes. Um, like I said, TU, now number 18 in the AP poll. We'll see how well we do in the college football playoff poll when that comes out on Tuesday. We are currently number 24 in that poll, so we'll see how high we move up with a lot of uh, losses in the kind of 20 to 25 range and a little bit above that too. Um, Highest ranking in the AP since 1952. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable to say those words out loud. Uh, But that's where we are. Um, And a nice note, shout out to uh, Will Bramlett on Twitter for this one. Uh, This is the first time that TU has been ranked above, better than Oklahoma State since 1991. So shout out to you, Will. That's a nice nice note. Yeah, and just like how rare is it that we have like the best overall like record percentage wise in the state? Like we're six and one. OU is seven and two, and then OSU is six and three. Like we only have one loss being to OSU, but like I feel like that is so rare. Oh yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's big time, dude. This has been a crazy year. I wish we could get another another crack at Oklahoma State because man, I feel like if we played them ten times, I think we win that game more than five of them. You know, I mean, it just seems like we're there, especially. I don't know, maybe not, depending on how our quarterback situation is that that given game because it seems to be pretty erratic. But ugh, I don't know. What do I you know, like? I don't know if it's even erratic. I mean, it's pretty consistently just not great most of the time. I feel like I mean, outside- I don't know about that. I would say, you know, this Navy game was like that and the Oklahoma State game was like that. But other games, it's been very, you know, split down the middle pretty much. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I still just have, over the course of the year, I feel like Smith has impressed me only one game, uh, and that was the SMU game, coming back from that. Everything else has just been, like, he's been decent, but he hasn't been, like, the greatest quarterback that we kind of were anticipating him to be, or at least, like, the offensive spark plug that you would think that he was coming into after last year. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's it's easy to be down on Zach right now, too, because it was definitely a, a pretty poor showing um, yesterday against Navy. But I don't know. I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts on him, and I, we're going we're gonna to get into them into this episode. Uh, but, man, yeah, he's – I don't know if he's going to be the guy to get us over the hump that is Cincinnati, you know, twice in a row. That seems pretty unbelievable um, to think that he might do that. And I think he has the talent to do it, but something is going on in his head that – is really limiting him because he is he I mean man and like I said we'll, we'll talk about it more but missed some serious throws uh like wide open dudes in the field and he wasn't necessarily rushed on some of those either just missed them so I don't know if this uh you know curse thing the first quarter slow starts is totally in his head now and he is just waiting for that to change and you know it, it's just not happening and it definitely didn't happen against Navy except you know except for kind of two throws that happened um but it was an ugly one against the mids yesterday. But we did get the win. So uh, let's break that down. Um, Another slow start, like you mentioned. (laughs) Uh, This time, however, it was not followed by an explosive finish like it has been for basically every other game this year, aside from um, the USF game where we were ahead like the whole time. And I want, so a question I want to pose to you early, Matt, do you think that's because, you know, Going back to the question, or you know, we didn't have we didn't have the explosive finish in this game. Do you think that's because we didn't need one and we were winning that whole time, and we just kind of coasted our way to victory, and the the you know the killer instinct to go win this game never really kicked in because we were tied or winning, or is it that our luck is running out and we're just going to get exposed against Cincinnati playing like that? Um, I would say it's probably a combination of those two, just because we have had a horseshoe like. Uh, taped to our backs so far like this entire season uh which we didn't really need against a navy team that although they were looking really bad early in the season has looked somewhat uh more competent in the recent weeks like uh they're they held memphis to what 10 points last uh week which is incredible because memphis is averaging like 33 something points a game on the season Mm -hmm. and so like navy has looked stronger defensively uh, in the last couple of weeks after like their BYU showing to start the year where they looked atrocious. Um, but yeah, I think it's a combination. I think we are just kind of being exposed um, a little bit. And like, I don't know. I think a lot of the early game woes that we have is couldn't be tied more to our play call. Um, and I think that side goes towards maybe more like how Philip Montgomery is actually calling these games because like, as we know, the start of the game is a lot more uh, planned out for each. Um, But yeah, so I feel like at least the slow starts are a combination of Smith just not being able to get it done early, whether that be a mental thing or just like rust. Um, And I mean, again, this is when it's, yeah. It's been tough to get any sort of consistency, I feel like, anywhere, just with how infrequently we actually seem to play football games. So that's probably, I think that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say, like, there's definitely wasn't any urgency in this game, um, which I feel like there should have been. This is a team where we should not have won by 13, like, I mean, I guess the spread was 12 or whatever, so we did actually cover. But (laughs) to only put up 19 points and cover the spread, it's like, that is not what I was expecting this to be. This I feel like we should be putting up at least 30 points against a team like Navy this year. And so just like no urgency there. It just seemed like it wasn't just a quarterback issue, though. It was across all sides of the offense. Guys were dropping balls. We just weren't running super well. Then our offensive line got, you know, some attrition. So... Yeah, I don't know. All these things, like, it was a win. It was a boring win. It was kind of, it was really ugly for most of the game. Does not inspire a lot of confidence going into a juggernaut uh, that Cincinnati has been so far this season. Yeah, you're right. And I I totally agree. Like, the, I'm glad you brought up 
it's not just a, it wasn't just a Smith thing, you know, it kind of, it kind of was later in the game, but early in the game, he was, you know, the throws weren't beautiful, but they were hitting people in the hands. Like the one I remember right off the top of my head, kind of the first one that happened, I think it was in the, in the first quarter near the end was the like long, like 30 something yard attempt to uh jc santana and it was a weird throw like it, it was he got hit on that throw but it was kind of ducking around in the air and the defender like got lost because it was in the air for so long and man jc was right there i don't think he knew where his feet were if he was in bounds or not he kind of freaked out that's that's kind of how it looked um but man hit him right in the hands and <laughs> he just dropped that thing and i know it happened to stokes uh i don't remember if it happened to josh johnson or not but i know it happened you know more than two times in this game early on and God, when, when you have the stigma, I'm, I'm sure the team has heard plenty about the slow starts thing. And when they know that that is a thing going on, they're going to try even harder to make that not happen. And overthinking things in football is usually a bad thing. So I'm worried about that and that that's totally in their heads now. He's, you know, even, you know, this Navy game definitely didn't do them any favors and made things worse probably. And now we're going into play a juggernaut like Cincy. Man, we better figure something out fast. Uh, cause I like, like I, you know, I said it a couple weeks ago, I know we talked about it, but, um, since he's not a team where we're going to be able to come back, like we have in a lot of these games, uh, UCF, SMU, et cetera, Tulane, um, it's just not going to happen. Their defense is too good. Us and us and Cincy unquestionably have the two best defenses in this league. And if we get down by 14 to them early, it's going to be ugly, I think. So we've got to figure something out this week. Like we're out of time to be messing around with this crap on offense. And so, you know, the argument that like, yeah, we, we haven't played many games and stuff, or we've played games now, but you know, we have weeks off in between all of them. I'm sure that makes some impact, but at this point in the season, it's like, you got to have your rhythm down. We, we've played enough games on the field where it's not a, it's not a question. I don't think of losing consistency because we're not playing teams. We've played plenty of teams. Now we know the game speed and all that, it's time to put it into practice, man. And like these players keep saying, we haven't, we haven't seen anything from our offense yet. You know, we see them in practice all the time going against our, you know, first string defense. They're, they're playing great. And, you know, it's enough talk. Like we got to see it in the game. We got to make something happen. And we've seen it at sometimes, you know, through the season, obviously, because we do come back and win these things. So they do show it every now and then. Uh, but man, it is like, we need to, we need to put a game together against Cincinnati or it's, it's just straight up not happening. So We'll we'll uh, we'll see how it goes against Cincy, but that is a uh, very scary. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like like this game was easily Smith's worst worst of the season, um, just with what ten of yeah. twenty five for one hundred and sixty eight yards and a touchdown, no interception, which is good. I yeah. mean, we only had uh, we only had that one turnover, that fumble right at the beginning, right uh, from Corey Taylor, and so like that's good to not see because you know normally you're guaranteed a Zach Smith pick in the first three drives. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that being said, like he really only had three good throws and one of them technically yeah. doesn't count on the stat sheet because of a holding penalty. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like, so you have the touchdown to Josh Johnson. Great. Beautiful throw. Josh Johnson is so fast. Dude, like he just torched those guys too. Yeah. After he caught that thing. Oh man. Uh, so. then you have the long, the deep ball to, uh, Oh, was it Santana or was it, it was Stokes, right? Um, uh, I don't know which one yeah, you're talking about. The thirty, there was like a nice thirty-seven yard pass down the side, down the uh, sideline. Oh yeah, and that was just yeah. that was to Stokes, and so that one was really good. And then the other one being the forty-five yard touchdown to Crawford, mm-hmm. uh, that ended up getting called back, and then we had to settle for a field goal. Incredible field goal. Zach Long was <laughs> like top Career. of his game today, yeah. Uh, yesterday, but yeah, easily Smith's worst game. I mean, probably of his Tulsa career, like. It was not good. Yeah, I'm I'm having trouble thinking of a worse one. There probably is, you know, stat-wise with interceptions and things. Like you said, he didn't throw a pick, so that, that helps him out in that regard. But in terms of how he looked out there, he man, he looked uncomfortable, kind of scared, was getting hit, was making bad throws uh, when they should have been, you know, open guys running down the field, totally should have been completions, uh, just not making them. So you're right. It's not great. Um I mean, the highlight, I think, was, like you mentioned, uh, was it was definitely Josh Johnson, the 66-yard touchdown catch and run. Um, you mentioned Sam Crawford's touchdown. I got called back. And, like, Sam Crawford, isn't he the one that had the, like, 98-yard touchdown last year called back mm-hmm. against whoever that was? I can't remember who we were it was playing against. There. It was against Navy. It was when it they, was, oh, yeah. yeah, No way. Oh, yep. man. That, That's when they saw that they sucks. reversed the call because of the video board. 
Yes, that was oh, that was Navy. Wow, that is unfortunate. Sam can't get can't get. He's had a the, he's had it's... real bad luck this year. It seems like I feel <laughs> yeah, feel, yeah, feel for, for sure. him. Um, yeah, man, really some <laughs> some ugly stuff. Like I, I put on Twitter more some stuff on Zach. You know, I put on Twitter yesterday that he has two modes. He's got NFL draft pick mode and he has second string high school quarterback mode. And like I was I was toying with saying NFL draft pick and like JV second string high school quarterback. I didn't do that. I don't think he's that bad uh, in, when he's in that mode. But uh, regardless, he was in second string mode like almost the whole game yesterday. Like you said, three good throws. One of them got called back 10 of 25. Um, that is, that's not going to get the job done, dude. I mean, Maybe this is, you know, I don't know. I'm looking for any way to think that this might be a wake-up call. And I know that everybody knows we've got Cincy, and they've got the one hell of a defense over there with, uh, what's the D.C.'s name, Marcus Freeman. And they're going to be able to light us up if we play like that. So we'll see. Um, but that's not going to get it done against a team like them. The question, though, is like, you know, a lot of people are wondering, what are the chances Davis Brin comes in? Because, I mean, like, he, he, you know, we have a very limited sample size from him. Uh, we have a quarter and a half or something. I think he came in like third quarter midway through or something like that against Tulane. And like, he looked fantastic. Right. But that's a quarter and a half and you never know what that's going to, how that's going to translate to a full game or anything like that. But, you know, I have my thoughts on whether we'll see him or not, but before that, do you think there's a chance, you know, say that Zach Smith comes out looks really bad against Cincinnati in the first round you know this coming game against them in the first half or something does Davis Brand come in second half mm, man okay so with the assumption I guess since you've already said it I don't think Davis Brand starts uh, the next game and so I I guess just to throw that out there but I guess your question yeah. already kind of acknowledges that <laughs> um yeah I guess it depends how bad he looks um and i guess the way he looks bad and so if it's just like he's making good throws and he's getting or if it's like if he's getting accurate but just a little off not hitting his receivers like i don't know if that's necessarily a reason you pull him if it ends up being because like oh we might not have chris paul going forward because he was uh using crutches on the sideline after he came out mm-hmm. yesterday and so if it ends up being he's facing like insane pressure from Cincinnati's really strong defense like I don't know if that's necessarily a reason you pull him out so I would say I would lean towards no I don't think he would get pulled out but again I'll put the caveat it depends how bad he's looking and I guess some more of the circumstances but I feel like I don't know even if he's not looking great the consistency uh continuity is probably a better word of sticking with your quarterback in the game, I think is better. I don't know. I feel like, like we talk about not having an offensive rhythm. I would imagine that pulling your quarterback halfway through the game, just switching it out probably wouldn't help that much. Um, and I think the Tulane was kind of a unique situation because it was like back-to-back injuries that led to the rise of Davis brain. Whereas this would be a little bit different. Yeah, I was going to bring up Tulane right away when you said it doesn't work very well. Um, but yeah, I think I think there is something to that, it being injuries instead of, uh, you know, benching your starter in terms of, of rhythm and things like that. And what I, you know, if, if it comes down to Zach looking terrible um, in the in the first half against Cincinnati next game, I just don't think there's a way that it happens. I think, I, I don't know. I don't know Montgomery's mind or anything, but it sure seems to me like that is his dude. That is our quarterback. We are gonna ride with that guy if and when until we die, right? I mean, it's like I don't see him making that change. Uh, the Baylor connection. He's, you know, I don't know. It, it just seems like it's not gonna happen. Um, if I were a betting man, I would bet that it doesn't happen, even if even if Zach looks pretty pretty rough. Yeah, and um, I mean, I feel like that's both a good and potentially bad aspect of Montgomery is he's very loyal to like his guys and so that'll be like yeah Smith is his guy I mean transferred from Baylor to follow him to play for him and so I feel like the odds of Montgomery just benching him for Bryn just on pure performance isn't really something that'll happen yeah agreed 
and then I wanted to bring this up too. one of our friends and I had the same thought of, <laughs> at the same time that he mentioned this too. uh, the galaxy brain idea that we play Zach in game one, the whole time, regardless of whether he plays well or not, we play him the whole time post game. Montgomery comes out and says, you know, this guy's our quarterback. We've got full confidence in him. He's going to be our starter in game two. And then boom, we whip, we <laughs> totally spin it around. And uh, Davis brings the starter for the conference championship game against Cincinnati in game two. I like, intuitively love that idea <laughs> i don't think there's any chance that 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 is the thing that happens um but just something to throw out there as a as a possibility to think about um and then before we move to like some better things because there were there were definitely some good things in that game all of them basically on the on the defensive side uh the other kind of bad thing about this game though we got to keep an eye on zavin collins again the recurring toe injury um he's got that turf toe issue i think it's turf toe going on and seemed to spark back up yesterday. Philip Montgomery apparently wasn't very concerned about it. So hopefully that's a good sign for him being full force next week against NC, but definitely something to watch as the week goes on. All right, on to the good things. Much more fun. There were there were plenty of good things to talk about. Uh, all of them, like I said, pretty much on the defensive end, not surprising. The defense has carried us to this number 18 rank in the AP poll, uh, unquestionably. Um, and... This one, you know, so many good things on defense. And like we said, Zayvon Collins out for most of this game. We still got it done on the defensive end, primarily because of the human machine that is Jackson Player. The dude looked amazing yesterday. People, uh, you know, love to compare this guy to Aaron Donald. And I think that's a great comparison. He, so Aaron Donald, 6'1", 280. Jackson Player, 6'2", 290, similar size-wise. Player in his, uh, you know, University of Tulsa athletics bio or whatever, um, each player has their thing on there, like where they came from and all that stuff. Um, he mentions that uh, Aaron Donald's his favorite NFL player. And he's talked about it in interviews, watching his film, wanting to be like him. Um, and he's got similar qualities. He's got a great get off, great speed, incredible strength. Um, the guy is an amazing get for the Hurricane. And he's from Waco, right? Right in Baylor's backyard where Montgomery, you know, was there too. So great get uh, for TU. And, you know, the reason I think a lot of people didn't go for that guy was because he's, you know, quote unquote small, but man, he does not play like a small guy, or maybe he does play like a small guy. He's got the big chip on his shoulder and wants to prove people wrong. So I love this dude. He keeps, he gets better every game. It seems like, and man, I am, uh, I am all on the Jackson player train. Very excited for his future. Yeah. I think the entire defensive line played pretty strongly. Um, dude, man, they really did. And it's just so I think that we had the unique circumstances of playing Navy in a down year. And when they have a quarterback that wants to like either pass, which I mean, he only ended up having eight attempts, which is bizarre because the way the announcers kept talking about it, you'd think he was like dropping back every time to pass. I know. (laughs) But I mean, for Navy that eight times is kind of like unheralded kind of uh, attitude, but it's also like, he's, just didn't seem like he was good at running the option like he would mm-hmm. either keep it or give it away to whoever was about to get tackled yeah so i mean we played that so that's nice but i mean that being said we still held navy to 126 yards which is kind of like uh, that's not a high number in college football but it's you know it's like a, it would be a respectable if they had like 250 300 passing yards mm-hmm. uh to only have 27 yards on top of that like we pretty <laughs> much shut them down yeah man it looked really good like they you know it's freshman quarterback that xavier Arline or whatever his name was first start for him because tyler goslin or i think it's tiger tiger goslin was uh not not getting the job done over there so that honestly kind of scared me you know a new player and so much of prepping for navy i feel like is film watching and trying to understand what they're doing with the triple option this year and how to play against navy specifically and their guys that year and so they come out with a new starter that no, I had never heard of. And I'm like, oh, no, this is bad, right? This is, we're playing at Navy. We never beat them. We've lost to them five times in a row. They've really had our number. Um, and now we've got this new guy that, you know, who knows how, he, how he's going to be. But you're right, totally shut him down. Uh, played great. Um, something, you know, with Zaven out, we had Mitchell Culkin. Uh, kind of got the first big minutes from him. Got to see what he was like. And he looked really good out there. Uh, played really well. Had some big hits. I am going to look up. I don't know what year he is. I'm going to look that up right now. 
Mitchell Kulk in Tulsa. That dude is a redshirt sophomore. So very nice. So excited for him. He looked big. He looked strong. Um, cool thing there. Uh, but yeah, like it was, <laughs> like you said, they never pass. So boring game from the corners because they never throw the ball. Um, but they did throw it, you know, 11 times or whatever that game. Um, cool. Any other good things you want to you know, talk about? I know a lot of them is, is defense. Yeah. Uh, just we mentioned it earlier. Zach Long played like four Dude, for four. four yeah. Would not have expected that, honestly, based on the rest, like how this year had been going. Like he hadn't no been as bad as last year, um, but he hadn't looked amazing. And to just come out and drill a 48 yard. Well, I don't know if drill is the right word, but to hit, <laughs> yeah, a, hit, a, 48, hit a 48 <laughs> yard field goal. Uh, like that's kind of a momentum builder for him. And so he had oh, just man. like a really strong game. No doubt. I, yeah. Thank you for bringing him up. I have him on, you know, I, I was going to mention him in a sec cause we're doing players of the game, but like, yes, absolutely a bright spot in that game. He beat Navy by himself, right? He had, what was it? 13, 13 points, points on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And so dude, I mean, so this guy is, you know, spoiler, he's my special teams player of the game. Surprise, surprise. Uh, he is the, uh, he was a, he's a walk-on. He walked on his sophomore year. And I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but he had literally never played football before, before walking onto a collegiate football team as the kicker and is now our starting kicker and just hit a 48 yard field goal. And like, I, you know, I was worried about him being our kicker. Uh, Montgomery probably seemed, you know, must've been worried about him. That's why we signed Tyler Tipton and gave him a scholarship. Um, but whatever's going on with Tipton, Zach Long's the guy this year. And I was kind of waiting on the game that we were going to get exposed because we don't have a great kicker. It didn't seem like we had a ton of confidence in him because we kept going for it on fourth down when we were anywhere beyond like a 35 yard field goal. Um, but the guy got it done this game beat, like I said, beat Navy on his own four for four career long 48 yarder. Uh, albeit barely made it there, but it did, it did go in. Um, but man, shout out to him. What a game for a money boy, Zach Long. That was awesome. Uh, so do you want to do your, let's start with special teams, uh, for you, Matt, that was mine. So you can do yours if you want. Yeah. Uh, it was also Zach Long, but just with a shout out to Lachlan Wilson specifically yes. <laughs> for the, uh, fake punt, which I mean, I was, you got, you and Pat both know, cause I was texting like very pissed off that we had to call a timeout before punting. Uh, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like what kind of clock management is this? <laughs> and so then to have the, I guess the punt option play i guess as it's known uh the pop mm-hmm. i guess um which i was i was i love that i saw uh, illinois nebraska a couple weeks ago illinois did it because nebraska had literally nobody on the screen that you could see um and so just like everybody on navy was facing the wrong way so i'm like and lachlan's pretty fast apparently yeah man and just have it like because he didn't just full sprint like he went and then he like looked like he might have he considered kicking it once or twice but it like nobody bit so he just ran past their defender their one guy (laughs) one guy to beat just like easily made it across like that play was great yeah dude the aussie rocket i love it i saw there's a ton of like i saw uh danny donnelly our you know former kicker on twitter shout him out um tom bennett the punter shouted him out it's like all the special teams from tu past we're giving him props on that one it's pretty cool uh, so let's go up the list. Usually we go offense, defense, special teams. Let's go special teams, defense, offense this time. Do you want to start us off on defense? Uh, sure. Uh, so you already talked a lot about him, but Jackson player had himself a day, uh, Oops. just going, let's go. I'll read his stat line, uh, on ESPN.com. Uh, <laughs> so Jackson player had 12 total tackles, 10 of them solo, two of them for sacks and four and a half tackles for loss. And so, honestly, like, the sacks number could be higher. Um, It's just, you know, like, at what point does a quarterback become a runner and therefore not get a sack uh, (laughs) kind of thing? But he was just, like, feasting on them. And he seems like the perfect player to take out uh, the triple option because there were times where he was pretty much set up where, I guess, no matter who they went to, he would be able to pivot. Like he would barrel through and have essentially an arm on each side, ready to take out quarterback. If he keeps it <laughs> tailback, if it gets pitched. So it's like, eh, I can kind of see how Navy struggled against that when he was, there really was no good option for them. 
Yeah, man, he's a stud. And that those two sacks that game, he only had one other sack the whole rest of the season, so huge game from him, and I don't think he had any last year. So that guy's really stepping up uh, in a big way this season. Uh, and, yeah, like with Zave, like we said, with Zavin out, um, he really shined. Great stuff. Um, on offense, I feel bad now because I should have I should have gone first on defense so that you could go first on offense because I, I know I assume who it's going to be is going to be the same as mine. Uh, but regardless, I will – I will uh, respect the order that we're going in. Mine is Josh Johnson. Um, three catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. That 66-yard uh, catch and run there, season-long touchdown for TU and a career-long for Josh Johnson, which is uh, really, really awesome. I mean, we needed that bad. It, it sparked the team, it seemed like. we. I think we were tied when that happened, right? It was 6-6. Six to six. Yep. Yeah, so huge momentum shift there. And like, like, like we talked about a bit when we were talking about it earlier – he caught that thing with like 30 yards to go and he torched the, he had like three guys around him and was right in the middle of all of them and beat them all to the end zone. That was huge. So definitely a, a well-earned jo- or uh, offensive player of the game for Josh Johnson. No, totally agree. And you're right. Josh Johnson was going to be, um, is my special, special offensive player <laughs> of the game. But, you know, I kind of like to have you uh, say it first and just acknowledge it. It kind of gives me a little bit of, um, pride in my breakout player of the year kind of thing um and yeah going back to your earlier uh take a couple weeks ago like josh johnson was over like the josh johnson can't catch the ball is was a vastly overblown uh statistic because i think there was one that i saw that he dropped but it was zach smith threw it pretty much behind him so he had to stop and shift to try and even get a hand on it um, but no, he looked really good this game. Um, and like, well, fortunately for him, for this award, nobody else really looks that good. <laughs> hey man, just cause he's your breakout player. doesn't mean I don't want him to do well. Right. So. No, I know. I just like, I like you, um, bringing him up without me uh, having to hi- hype him sense, up yes. every time. Yeah. He had a hell of a game, dude. I mean, if he, and he has been honestly like, I was looking at total like team numbers. He's the number one receiver this year in terms of, uh, I think at least touchdowns. I know he's, he's kind of torching everybody in touchdowns, but he's very close in terms of total yards. I think, let me, uh, let me pull up the team stats here. Uh, stats we've got receiving and yeah, so we've got Keelan Stokes leads in yards was Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson has six touchdowns compared to JC's three and Keelan Stokes only has two on the year, which honestly is kind of surprising. Um, but yeah, clearly leading the team and getting to the end zone. He's got that 66 yarder on there and is pretty close behind Keelan Stokes in terms of total yards. And they are exactly tied in terms of catches on the season with 35 apiece. So he's really threatening to be the number one dude uh, with, and you could argue that he he has been this year uh, with Keelan Stokes. And that's big time, right? Because Sam Crawford is having kind of a downer year. And we if, if, he, if that's going to happen, we would need somebody to step up in his place. And JJ definitely has done that. Yeah, so. I'm I'm really excited for our wide receiving core next year. Like the yeah, the I only mean, so seniors we have Josh Stewart and Keelan Stokes are like the two seniors. Yeah, yeah and of the ones that like play, right? right. And so Stokes is going to be gone, which is a, a, obviously a big loss, but like man, having um Sam Crawford and and Josh Johnson and JC Santana Plus, I know we've got some young talent coming up that's going to be really fun to watch next year, too. So I feel, like you, very good about the receiving core. All right, let's move. Um, We've got some really good listener questions to knock out, so let's get to those. Um, So first one from Joe Broback, and he's – uh, you know, you might remind you might know him if you've listened to us or if you've listened to his show, he used to do a podcast for the underdog dynasty. He now writes for them and does, uh, he also writes for a website called sixth year sports and does a really awesome job. Does a bunch of really cool film work as well. So, uh, he sent in a few questions. First one, what must Tulsa do to avoid a slow start? And not possible. Great question. <laughs> yeah, probably impossible at this point. It seems, I don't know if there's a way for us to do this. However, I think there is an answer, actually. I think the correct answer here is start Davis Brin and inject some life into the team. You know, like interesting, it just seems like we're we're in a whole. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's the good call, or I, I definitely don't think that's going to happen. But we are in what feels like a holding pattern of 
sticking with Zach Smith, and he does enough to get the win, which is great. Hey, I'm never going to complain about winning game. We're winning games. We're 6-1. and one. Hell yeah, Zach Smith. Give me that every year. That's great. But it's not been pretty. <laughs> we have looked pretty rough at times. And I don't think the the correct thing to do is to start Davis Brin. But if we were trying to avoid the slow start, as this question asks, I would be, you know, I think that's the, the last-ditch effort. Uh, that's the only other thing I can think of. Um, otherwise, I think it's going to continue happening. So this is kind of like, uh, how do you avoid the slow start? Play faster, um, which is like, <laughs> seems like a simple, like, don't be slow. But I mean, like literally in the sense of, you know, maybe we should be running a two-minute drill off style offense to start the game just because like don't let people overthink it that's kind of what it seems like is happening especially in the quarterback situation like i don't know i've always gone back to i hate the fact that every time we set up on offense the entire team will then look to the sideline before anything happens and i feel like that's been the case ever since dane evans was quarterback um and that was only maybe his senior season at that point and so I think part of it just needs to be play faster, play, you know, maybe a little more aggressively. Um, and that might be rough because we've shown that we are kind of turnover prone early in games. Uh, but I would say, like, I don't know if all those were playing aggressively more, as opposed to uh, just completely making terrible, like bad throws or just like not running <laughs> yeah. routes. And so I think a lot of that comes down to if you simplify the game a little bit, make it so uh, nobody is kind of overthinking it might kind of help. And I think that's just play like maybe a little looser, a little more uh, not uptight might be good. Just try at least try against Cincinnati. I mean, what we're going to be underdogs. What do you have to lose? Yeah, we got two shots, right? So why not? Why not try it? You know, be Ex- the, experiment be the, the first game. Really. There's no advantage yeah. to winning this game, I guess, unless we for the group of six bid, but group of five. Yeah. But yes. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you're right. Like it's clearly a mental thing. We got to shake it somehow. And I think you might have something there, you know, maybe we're playing into it too much with trying to take it easy early and make the easy plays early to try to loosen everybody up. Maybe the answer is, you know, put the pedal to the metal right away. Uh, try to get these guys playing hard right at the beginning. So they think less and just go play some football. So maybe that's it, but good thought. Okay, so second question we got is another one from Joe Broback. Can Tulsa win both games? Yeah, so awesome question from Joe. And we talked about this um, with Brandon on his podcast and maybe on our podcast. Everything is slipping into the same void of words. We've been doing this for like two and a half hours already tonight. Um, But so to answer the question, I'm going to answer it basically the same way that I answered Brandon because he has a similar one. Um, Here's how I'm thinking about it. So Cincinnati is number eight in the SP plus rankings, which we are firm believers of on the Hurricast. Tulsa is number 41. So it's not really, you know, neck and neck teams going at it here. And the chance that we win both obviously is very slim. Cincinnati is a hell of a team. They are number eight in the SP plus. They're number seven uh, in the AP. And I believe they will probably still be number seven in the college football playoff. We'll see. Um, because we're recording this on Sunday, the playoff rankings come out Tuesdays. So I don't know. I think there's a chance. Um, my, th- my thought there, you know, in how we might get it done. So game one, when we, when we play them round one here on the 12th, um, the Bearcats won't have played a game in 21 days. So what I'm, you know, really hoping and like desperately telling myself is that they're going to be really rusty, uh, won't have any rhythm on offense early. And out of nowhere, Tulsa will somehow start fast against the lauded Cincinnati defense, which I, I don't believe coming out of my own mouth uh, saying those words. But that's what I'm really hoping for. I, I feel like that's the best chance we have at getting on them uh, for game one. I think we have a better chance of getting them game two. Um, but when both, we have to get them, obviously, in game one. And that's the, I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, Tulsa's defense is unquestionably the best defense that Cincinnati will have played all year. Um, Cincinnati's defense is one hell of a D, but obviously they don't play themselves in a real game. So our defense will be uh, the biggest question mark and the biggest task that Desmond Ritter has to overcome. And he has certainly taken significant steps forward in the second half of this year. Um, but man, our secondary, he just hasn't seen another one like it this season. There's no getting around that. So I'm really hoping we can cause some trouble for Desmond. Stop him on the run. He's got some real feet that he can run with. 
uh, and see what we can do on the defensive end because we're going to have to shut them down if our offense has any chance of getting points on the board against their their very good defense. So we'll see what happens there. But in the end, you know, who knows? Uh, since he looks like the more complete team, I'd be surprised if we got him twice. But that's why you play the game. So we'll see how it happens. Uh, I do think we've got talent to play with him. It's whether our offense can put together a complete game for the first time this season. Yeah, I would say uh, I would be surprised if we managed to win both games. I think we have a better shot of winning the first game. Um, just in the sense that, like, I don't know, maybe I'm a pessimist about this, but I feel like the second game... I trust Cincinnati's coaching staff to make adjustments better than I would trust Philip Montgomery. And so if we w- if we lose the first one, I don't know if we can make the necessary adjustments to win the second game. But if we win the first one, I feel like Cincinnati would be able to adjust for our, how we played. And unless we change something up dramatically, which, I mean, if we win the first game, you would think, let's keep going with what has worked. I feel like their staff would be able to uh, account for that. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, that's fair. And like, I, I agree with you. I, I, you know, if I were betting on both of these games, unfortunately, I would probably bet on Tulsa losing them both. Uh, Cincinnati had this happen to them last year. They played two games in a row against Memphis. You know, their season finale was against Memphis. And then the championship game was again against the Tigers and they lost them both uh, with a very good team. Um, so it's going to be tough to pull it off. Uh, I would probably bet that it doesn't happen. However, you know, my, my thinking around the, I think we have a better chance of winning the second one mostly comes from the desperation hope that we play Davis Brin. Um, but again, why would we do that? If we win the first game, we're going to go with the guy who just won us the game. So I don't know, maybe it's just crazy trick trickery from uh, Philip Montgomery, which I don't think is realistic to think about. So we will see, uh, can Tulsa win both games? Yes, sure. But will they, will that, will that happen? Uh, almost, almost definitely not, unfortunately, which is a very much a downer. Uh, cause I'm really looking forward to these games, but Man, they just haven't – I'm just being – you know, it's realistic, right? I, I don't think that our offense has shown it this year for me to have enough confidence. I mean, we – honestly, you know, I don't want to go too far down this depression rabbit hole, but Cincinnati's defense is good enough to shut us out, man. Like, I don't know. We'll see how we play, but uh, I just don't want it to get ugly. Yeah, this could be a very low-scoring, like, just domination by Cincinnati, which is kind of how I feel. Could be, could be. Um you know, we'll see. But I am very intrigued to see how Desmond Ritter does against our defense because I don't think he's seen anything like RD. Uh, okay, next question. Is it better for the conference for Cincinnati to win both games? Another one from Joe Brobeck. And I, th- I mean, I think the answer is, you know, no question, uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's, for it's just national, yeah. national recognition. And if we have any hope of sending somebody to the playoff, it would have to be Cincinnati and it would be as uh we talked about with brandon like this is the year i feel like if we were to send somebody to the playoff it would be this weird 2020 year no doubt yeah i mean it definitively is better for them to win both like it would un you know unquestionably puts an american team in the new year six spot again for what is it like five of the last seven years or whatever now mm-hmm. and, and potentially you know like you said into the playoff for the first time ever uh and as you know pretty unlikely as that is um definitely the only chance they have is for them to win both those games and then if they can do that and they they win you know a game in there or something or even if it's just the new year six where they'd likely play georgia that'd be a huge statement win and another big one for the americans so you know number seven the highest g5 has ever been in the cfp poll cincinnati with two more ranked wins over us if they win both that would you know those are big time they can move up a little bit with some chaos who knows i wouldn't bet on them getting into the top four but anything could happen. This year has been ridiculous. So uh, I think there's a there's a chance, and there's a big big chance for them to make a statement. All that said, I still absolutely want Tulsa to win both these games. Like, give me a or just one of them. I, you know, give me give me a Tulsa Hurricane Commerce Championship. I'll take that over anything else, uh, of course, as a Tulsa fan. So it'd be the first American Commerce Championship for Tulsa football um, uh, in the American, obviously, and uh, that that would be a huge deal. So I would. I would put the conference bias aside and, and take the Tulsa win as a fan. Um, next question. Is Luke Fickle or Philip Montgomery the AAC coach of the year from George Luthan on Twitter? And you got to so, think it's – oh, yeah, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say I feel like it's very dependent on how these next two weeks go. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I agree. I think it, I think it might – I think it should already be locked up for Philip Montgomery. 
And, you know, not talking about his coaching expertise or how good of a coach he is, but just the, the optics of it all, right? So it's just like Tulsa basketball last year. Picked to finish 10th in the American last season, ended up winning a share of the conference title. Phil Montgomery's team this year picked to finish ninth in the American after a freaking Temple team who I knew was going to be so bad. Not this bad. Not, not Honestly, I didn't think they were going to be as bad as they have been. But picked to finish below that team, and now we're playing in the conference championship game, having beaten two ranked teams this season, played three of them, and we're about to play two more in a row. And I think that warrants you a spot uh, as the American Conference Coach of the Year, regardless of how these next two games go. Luke Fickle's team was basically, I mean, they were three points away from being picked to finish first, you know, in like the total points that the preseason poll puts out there. Uh, UCF was picked to finish first. Fickle was, Luke Fickle and the Bearcats were right behind him, three points back uh, in second. So people expected Cincinnati to be good, and they are. Maybe they're, you know, higher ranked than people thought they would be at this point. But the in terms of how good of a job these coaches have done, in terms of how their teams have played, and, you know, not maybe not played, but resulting wins and losses and rankings – Tulsa, absolutely. Montgomery deserves the Coach of the Year award this year. Yeah, I don't know. I just like if Cincinnati pulls off an undefeated season and manages, like, I don't know if they, when this is decided or if it uh, has any sort of like postseason side to it. But if Luke Fickle takes Cincinnati and an American team to the first playoff for the conference. I don't know. I could see it swinging towards him, even as like strong a job as Philip Montgomery has done so far. That's, that's my only hangup. Like, I still think like that Montgomery has a very valid case, but that's where I'm like, well, if Luke wins these next two games and something blows up in the top four, I mean, then I could potentially see that. That's fair, and I think that's a good point. However, I can't remember when these awards get doled out, right. and I have a feeling they might be before the playoff starts. Well, but when it, I guess it would be like the playoff is determined pretty much the Tuesday after conference championship, and so you got to think they would at least wait until. Yeah, it's not I think be... that's right because I I'm thinking back to like uh, bowl se- you know when everything was just the bowl system right. and before the like national championship game all of that stuff had already been decided but yeah you're right maybe before the playoff starts it is it is done uh, okay so next up another one from uh, George <laughs> a good question how much longer can Tulsa keep Joe Gillespie our DC and I don't have any idea, right? Like, I mean, we can't. We probably can't pay him anymore. I know, dude. Oh my gosh. So he's he's only been defensive coordinator for two years, right? And he took over for Bill Young after Bill retired. And you cannot speak highly enough about the job he's done. It's been in like incomprehensible rise in terms of our defensive talent since he's taken over. Bill Young did a good job in his last year as well. Um, but like, I mean, Joe Gillespie has done as as good of a job as anyone could have ever expected him to do. He was a big piece of the transition that moved us to the three, three, five defense that we play so well now Um, in terms of him, like, you know, how much longer can we keep him? I think it depends who's calling. Maybe it seems like, I don't know. I have no idea how, how much he likes being here. It seems like he likes it, you know, from the outside, but we don't have any inside information on what he's thinking. Um, I do know he's from Stephenville, Texas, and he was the head coach of Stephenville high school. So, you know, if a Texas school came calling, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if he left for that. Uh, like a Baylor, a TCU, you know, Texas, who knows? Maybe maybe UT, if they get rid of Tom Herman and have a whole new coaching staff come in, the new guy wants to bring in a new DC and he he calls on Joe Gillespie or something. That I could see him leaving for something like that, of course. But um, obviously I hope he sticks around because, man, what a phenomenal job he's done. But I don't have a great answer for this. I don't know how long we can keep him. Do you have anything to add there? Matt? Sorry, yeah. No, I didn't have other than just the, I don't think we can uh, pay him to stay. So it's as long as nobody else with the uh, deeper pockets comes asking, I feel like is kind of unfortunately the <laughs> yeah. situation. Very unfortunate because many schools have deeper pockets than us. Uh, okay, another one from George. Does Tulsa extend Montgomery? So, oh boy. Yeah, very dramatic question here. So, uh I, it can't ha- it can't happen anytime soon because we I mean we don't have an athletic director and we don't have a president. Doesn't mean you can't do it though. Like we do have an interim AD and he's he's has the power to make the calls if he needs to. Um, 
He does. I just, I feel like that wouldn't, they would kind of wait until a new administration is fully set is kind of like my expectation. Yeah. And that's a good thought. And that's something I, I honestly forgot about when thinking about the answer to like my answer to this. Um, because you got to think like, if I'm thinking about the timeline for TU, they're probably just hoping to get through this entire year, uh, with the interim and just hope that things go well enough and that we don't have to make any dramatic changes and then make the call once we have a new president and a new AD. Um, but I mean, we can't wait too long, right? Cause so Montgomery's contract goes through 2022 and why would they not, you know, if I, if I'm looking at how TU is thinking about this or how I think that TU is thinking about this, they probably don't want to make a big change or anything like that. They probably want to keep Montgomery. He's, you know, quote unquote, earned his spot now with this season that he's had this year, breakout year for him, unquestionably six and one ranked number 18, best ranking since 1952. He's probably about to win American conference coach of the year. Unless Cincinnati makes the playoff or something crazy like that. Um, I think, yeah, he'll get an extension. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't see why they wouldn't do it. It seems like an easy win for the university to do. Um, we're not paying him, you know, an, an exorbitant amount of money. Uh, so keep him around. Right. I think that's what they're going to think. Um, however, you know, obviously, uh, the fan base is not super excited about Phil Montgomery. Um, probably more excited about him than they have been, but still he, he makes his share of boneheaded moves during games. Uh, he has a losing record all time at TU 31 and 38. Now he's improved every year since 2017 though. Uh, yeah, for what that's worth, like two and 10, three and nine, four and eight in those years. And then obviously now we are six and one. So a huge jump. Um, and you know, despite, weirdly like consistently finishing in the bottom three or four of the conference in terms of recruiting rankings every year we clearly have the talent and develop the talent to compete with anybody in this conference and i mean it's never been more evident our guys every game you've got commentators saying look how big tulsa's team is look how athletic they are um and it's 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 so obvious and you know you wouldn't guess that uh, just by looking at the recruiting rankings over the years so Player development, I mean, obviously there's something to be said there. The players seem to love him also. Um, and we return a lot of guys. Uh, you know, we're, we're up at the top right now, and we clearly have the talent coming back next season um, to hopefully, you know, do something similar. So I think it's an easy win for them to, you know, quote-unquote win. It might turn into a loss in the long term, but I think they are going to see it as an easy win and, and extend them. Yeah, and so my first point was just I – more on a, uh, I guess, administrative versus uh, whether I think he will eventually get that um, extension. And I think he will. I think he'll get extended, especially like last year, it seemed to be uh, kind of an ultimatum about like, he needs Mm -hmm. to either make a bowl game, do something, have a good year. And he's done that. (laughs) And so like, if we still had, if Greg was still the AD, like, I think it's a done deal. He'd probably already have that extension. Uh, to be honest. And so I think it will be, I don't think it'll be another five years, um, but I could see it being like through 2025. So like just tack on three years to his current one, see what, because if he keeps going like this, I mean, he, he, who knows if he'll even make it like might just be picked up somewhere (laughs) along the line. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, having Rick Dixon there, I don't know what Rick's relationship is with Philip or anything, if they knew each other from previous jobs or anything like that. But um, you might have something there, you know, maybe they'll just wait and see, uh, with Rick and see how long we, I, who knows, I don't know what the timeline is on trying to get a full-time AD. Obviously Rick has said that he doesn't want to be the full-time guy. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I agree. If Greg was still here, I think it would be a uh, sign and sign and delivered already. Um, and then the final listener question today is from Palmer Watkins and it's should the American conference count this as a conference championship game. So one or both teams can schedule a game the following week. See, I personally think it's in both teams, best interest to play each other twice. Um, so I guess first on the Cincinnati side, Cincinnati doesn't want to play, um, like a non-conference foe that's kind of ranked and risk a loss. Whereas if they play us two weeks in a row, chances are, as long as we don't embarrass ourselves in the first game, should we lose? Not a guarantee, obviously. <laughs> uh, we'll be, we are going to be ranked for the second game. And so Cincinnati would be able to add two more potential ranked wins uh, under their belt. And for us, I mean, 
our best opportunity to hop somebody like Coastal Carolina or um, I guess Louisiana. I guess we're already ahead of them. Uh, but just to stay ahead is to beat a team ranked as highly as Cincinnati two times in a row. So I think it's personally in the best interest for both programs, like goals for the season to actually play each other twice. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, I, yeah, I I agree with everything you said right there. So I'll take the personal angle. Like if, I, if I'm not caring about any of this, would I do that? And yeah, I would because I don't know. I, I feel like it's kind of a downer to play the same team twice in a row. Just optics you know just looking at how i feel about the season and since he had to do this last year with memphis and lost both times and it was boring you know having it was like an you know the conference championship game was degraded in my opinion because we'd already seen these teams go off and the same thing happened twice basically so i'm not saying that that is i wouldn't vouch for that in terms of what is the right thing to do the right thing to do is what you said and play them twice because they're both you know having two top 10 games to end the season Tulsa's not going to have a better chance to get to that New Year's Six spot than doing that. And Cincinnati, likewise, uh, playing another a good conference-ranked team twice in a row. So I agree that they should play both. But if I were, you know, just having my way of things, not caring about conference rankings and all of this stuff, uh, I would like to play another team instead of Cincy twice. If we lose the first one, I want the revenge, though. I want to win that <laughs> yes. second one. That's kind yeah. of where kind of where I'm at. Fair. <clears throat> okay. Um, some final uh, just kind of thoughts to touch on here. Um, does Tulsa, and a question I, I wanted to pose and, and talk about here, does Tulsa get the G5 New Year's Six spot if we beat Cincinnati twice? So taking away, you know, going off what we were just talking about, um, should we play this game two times in a row? Assuming that we do and that happens and we beat Cincinnati twice, do you think that we get the New Year's Six spot? Right now, it kind of depends. Before yesterday, I would have said yes, but then Coastal Carolina beats a BYU team on national TV college game day, which really hurts us. Mm -hmm. And so theoretically, like we need to hop them. They're the only team besides Cincinnati that would be between us since BYU doesn't qualify for that uh, group of five bid as an independent. And so our best opportunity i think the only way we would at this point unfortunately is coastal carolina has to lose in their championship game uh and then i think we would stay ahead of louisiana in that situation but i don't know even if we beat cincinnati twice i don't know that we could pass an undefeated coastal carolina unfortunately no i agree i think louisiana has to beat coastal in the Sun Belt championship game um tulsa has the edge over them and having two two top 10 wins over cincinnati would get us there Coastal is a different yeah. story. Uh, it's, you know, I was, I was thinking about this when I'm, when getting ready for the episode and it's, you know, I mean, numbers wise, we're right there with coastal. However, like coastal has all of the national hype and attention, especially now after, after the win over BYU. So some numbers here, um, Tulsa currently, uh, number 41 in SB plus number 24 in the college football playoff. Uh, we'll see how we are on Tuesday. Um, that hasn't been updated yet, obviously as of, as of Sunday, um, six and one, five and zero in the American. Uh, our average win, like in terms of the teams that we've beaten and their SP plus rankings, our average ranking in those wins uh, is sixty eight point five. So that's number eighteen UCF, number one hundred eleven South Florida, ninety six ECU, thirty four SMU, forty two Tulane, one hundred and ten Navy, and then we lost to number twenty nine Oklahoma State. Um, Coastal Carolina, number twenty four in the SP plus. We're number forty one. Like I said. They're number 18 in the college football playoff poll. They will, uh, they'll certainly go up, I assume, this year or this week on Tuesday. Undefeated, haven't lost a game. They're 10-0, 7-0 in the Sun Belt. They have played um, two more, three more games than us. Uh, so weird to think about it because it's hard, you know, not really a level playing field. They've been ranked every week since week six. However, their average win ranking in terms of SP plus wins is 74.5. So our, our, our schedule and the, the games that we played and the games that we've won – uh, we've beaten better teams than them, uh, even with their number seven BYU win right there. But they have played more games. And then Louisiana, like I said, they're they're also lower than us in terms of average win rankings, uh, number 77 in their SP Plus rankings teams that they've beaten. Um, and so I agree. Like, I mean, if Coastal wins out and wins the Sun Belt, you, they're, they're getting in over Tulsa, I think. I don't think two wins over Cincinnati is going to leapfrog us over them. Uh, they have the edge in terms of national hype. People love that team. And also, we've played three fewer games than them, and that's going to be the nail in the coffin, I think, in terms of people who are picking these games. So 
Uh, Coastal gets in over us, but I do think we get in over Louisiana uh, if they beat Coastal in the Sunbelt Championship game, which is certainly a possibility. They already Louisiana already played Coastal once. They lost by three. It was a super close game. So who knows what happens uh, in the Sunbelt Championship. If Louisiana gets them and we beat Cincinnati twice, man, there we are. We, we're right in that thing. So love to see it. Um, but if we lose either of, the, either of these games against Cincinnati, it's over. There's no shot. And then my last uh, question that I wanted to ask you, and, uh, you know, I hesitate to even ask because I I don't really like the question, but I was thinking about it earlier, and I wanted to put it out there. So Tulsa, last year, arguably the nation's best 4-8 and team, probably were. Um, This year, is Tulsa the nation's worst one-loss team? Mm, Okay. Um... So I'm going to say no on a technicality just because there are teams that have probably only played a single game right. and lost <laughs> yeah. that game. Uh, so I'm just like quickly skimming through SP plus to see uh-huh. uh, if I can find any of them. Uh, Miami of Ohio. Yep. They have a loss. They're 105th. <laughs> yeah, right. um, Ball State, 4-1, and one, 84th. Uh, but just to like, I guess in the spirit of the question itself. Um, yeah. I, I think that like there's a lot of teams that have one loss and I think if you compare a lot of them like head to head, I think we would come out kind of at the very bottom of that <laughs> pile. Yeah, or so I mean you gotta think so, right? It's a depressing question because I do think we have a lot of talent on this team, but man, you just the offense hasn't shown us anything this year that makes me think that we're not in that bottom tier. Uh, of the and uh, you know, bottom tier of one loss teams. There's nothing to snark at. Like that's not a <laughs> that's a right. pretty good thing. Um but, you know, just a, an interesting thing to think about because our defense is certainly up there with the best of the one-loss teams uh, or even some of the undefeated teams. But our offense, however, uh, not showing it to us. Yeah. And, I mean, it's if you look at it, we're, like, pretty we're pretty close to Tulane, who is 6-5. And, five. and <laughs> right. so, like, part of it, our advantage is we just haven't played as many games. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, like, our wins are strong wins. But, like, yeah, we're... Definitely, I think the pendulum has swung our way in luck this year, whereas last year a lot of those games were could have easily gone the other way. This way we've just been very for this year we've just been very fortunate on it. Agreed. And I do think some of the luck comes from you know, luck comes from being prepared and having having big time players who are gonna make those big plays, like guys like Zayvon Collins who make those game winning interceptions, uh and you know, things like that. You you got some gamers on the team. JC going up, catching that Hail Mary catch. Definitely an, an element of luck in that, but also an element of I'm going to go win this game for this team right now. And part of there, you know, it part of that is is luck for sure. But um, I wouldn't say all of it. Um, okay, great question though. Love love thinking about it. Uh, so moving on, uh, final thing, just real quick. Just wanted to. We didn't even. I don't even know if we talked really basketball in this podcast yet. I mean, bas- the season really just started like last week, so. Uh, we and we didn't have a sode last week, so real quick, just wanted to touch on some things. Um, Tulsa number ninety three in Ken Palm right now. Uh, that was the ranking going into the first game, and it is still what we are after a one and two start. We lost to number sixty one TCU. This is all Ken Palm rankings. Number sixty one TCU seventy to sixty five. We lost to number sixty six South Carolina sixty nine to fifty eight. And then, you know, just a couple of days ago, beat number 158, UT Arlington, 79 to 64. And we were supposed to play Arkansas, who also played UT Arlington and beat them by 12. We beat Arlington by 15. So take that for, take that for what it's worth. Probably not worth very much, but there, you, there it is. Um, kind of a rough start to the season. Uh, I mean, we have several new guys in there, uh, two new guys to the starting lineup in Keyshawn Embry and Curtis Haywood. Um but, you know, unsurprisingly, I think early early in the season, the leaders of the team have been the guys who have been here. So Brandon Rochelle leads the team in scoring and blocks. He's getting 17.3 points a game so far. Elijah Joyner is leading the team in rebounds with seven per game. And then Darian Jackson coming off the bench, hasn't started a game this year, uh, leading the team in assists and steals with 3.7 assists per game and two steals per game. So not surprised that the kind of stalwarts of this team are the ones who are leading it early in the year. Uh, Keyshawn Embry has been a big highlight of this team early in terms of scoring. So looking forward to seeing more of him. Curtis Haywood has started every game, but has not uh, gotten the hype early that Keyshawn Embry has. Uh, He just made his first basket of the year um, this last game against UT Arlington, which is I never would have guessed that to be the case. 
we need him to step up. Um, and then so like the five guys getting the most minutes this year. So we've got the starting five, you know, who every, every game, I think it's been the same. I think it's been Rochelle, Joyner, Embry, Curtis Haywood, and uh, Manny Ugbo. The five guys getting the most minutes though, are definitely not those guys. So Rochelle, Joyner, and uh, Embry are, are in those top three, but the other two are not Haywood and Ugbo. It's um, Darian Jackson getting more than Haywood and then Ray Idowu getting significantly more than Manny Ugbo. Um, so it's another another deal with kind of Frank Haith starting some guys who he's not going to actually play more than, than the guys coming off the bench. So we'll see if that trend continues, but that's how it's gone so far. Another notable thing, freshman Keyshawn Williams actually getting more minutes than Ugbo as well as a freshman. Uh, he's getting 15 minutes a game compared to Manny Ugbo's 13 so far in the year. And the other big story, I, I, we don't have enough time to talk a lot about basketball, um, although I would love to spend some more, you know, football season will end soon, so we've got plenty of time to talk about basketball. But Ray Idowu, got to think that he's going to be the starter at some point. Um, Hafe, obviously know he's more talented. He gets a ton more playing time than Manny Ugbo. Uh, he brings a ton of energy. Maybe that's why he's coming off the bench to keep the energy going. Uh, similar to what Igbanu did, what Darian Jackson does. They both brought a lot of energy off the bench, so maybe that's the idea. But Idowu, definitely excited about him. The guy kind of seems erratic at times on the floor, but, man, he definitely has talent, got some crazy footwork going on down there, lots of energy, um, seems to be a pretty good scorer as well. So I'm pretty psyched about Ray from Illinois State. And then the uh, – Final basketball thing. The games against Arkansas and ORU, I mentioned already, I think, um, postponed. They were supposed to be Tuesday and Saturday of this week. Um, both postponed due to COVID issues on our side, unfortunately. Um, it sounded like just one case from the like very small tweet and post that I saw about it. Um, but there you have it. We finally have a COVID issue on TU's side, and it is uh, cost- costing us the Arkansas game, at least for now. Uh, and ORU game, in, unless those get actually postponed. All righty. Um, I think that's all I've got. We had, uh, you know, we had some things in the conference, but not really. Like, there was only one other football game. Tulane, like, Tulane beat Memphis. That was awesome. I'm not going to go into that one, though. Lots of drama about Ryan Silverfield uh, with the Memphis program. And then the teams in basketball, like, off to hot starts. Um Houston and SMU killing it early. Houston's got a win over number 14, Texas Tech and uh, South Carolina. SMU, big win against Dayton. Dayton's supposed to be a great team this year, so that's a huge win. UCF beat Auburn back on November 30th. Uh, Disappointing teams early, uh, arguably Tulsa. And then Memphis and South Florida have also both been pretty disappointing early. So there you have it for uh, very quick around the American. And that, I promise, is the last thing I have. Long episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it is. And with a break in the middle for interviews. So very much enjoyed it, but let's call it quits. Uh, not sure how long this is going to be, but thank you for listening, I hope. But yeah, if you like the show, make you make sure you subscribe to it. Um, share it on Twitter. Tell a friend about it. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate all of that stuff. Um, if you want to support us financially, you can do that. There are a couple of different ways to do it, uh, both of which are on our website. You can go to thegoldenhurricast.com slash support to find those ways. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Golden Hurricast, all one word. Or you can send us an email, and that email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. Stay golden.